Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Nobody really knows where or how the Pharisees started. We do know that between the Old Testament and the New Testament, Judea was uh, conquered by the Roman Empire. And when that happened, all of a sudden, Caesar is in control of the promised land. Caesar is in control of God's faithful people. And Caesar is uh, ruling them. And he's, he's like making laws that restrict how the Jews can practice their faith. And within Judaism at the time, there's a number of different groups. And each of these groups had their own reaction to Roman rule. One of the groups reacted kind of by saying like, this is our land. We can't accept this. We're not going to take this lying down. We're going to revolt and it's going to be violent and bloody, but we know the land better than them. We can attack them when they least expect it and we can win. We can win and we will. Well, that group was called the Zealots. There was another group who said, you guys, it is too late. The culture is lost. The cult of the, the people of Israel, were, the nation is going to hell in a handbasket. And the only hope for surviving this is we need to separate ourselves. We're going to pull back. We're going to withdraw from the culture and we will keep to ourselves and practice God's law. And, and in that way, by, by isolating ourselves from the culture, that's how God's people will survive. Well, those people were called the Essenes. Well, another group said, you guys, this is an opportunity. Let's make friends with the Romans. We can't possibly overpower them. We can't defeat them, but we can show them that we're smart. We can show them that we can make good deals if we try. We should join them. We should join them. We can't use military strength, but we can use politics. So we'll join them and we'll survive in that way. Well, that group was called the Sadducees. And if you've spent some time in the New Testament, you've probably come across the Sadducees. But there was one more group, and their reaction was to say, this is our fault. This is happening because of our disobedience. And because it was disobedience that got us into this mess with the Romans, only obedience to the law is going to fix it. And so... You guys, we're going to dedicate ourselves to God's law. We're not only going to keep the law that God, as God gave it, we're going to create extra laws and extra rules and extra traditions around the law that God gave just to make sure we don't even come close to disobeying. And if we can be careful enough and devoted enough, then maybe, just maybe, if we worship Yahweh enough, if we obey Him enough, if, if, if we sacrifice properly, if we honor the Sabbath, if we do all of these things, eventually he will see from heaven and he will come down and he will establish his throne in Zion, in Jerusalem. And, and, and that's how the kingdom will come. Well, that group was called the Pharisees. And a, a group of Pharisees who were also called the scribes. And those are Pharisees who are experts in copying the scriptures. So that's who we're talking about, the scribes and Pharisees. 
Now, here's the thing. In our day, the Pharisees have become kind of a meme, right? Like, we are very familiar in church world with this meme of the angry Pharisee. We think we could never be like those guys. They're the bad guys of the New Testament. But just to be clear, it didn't start that way. In in that culture, they were the faithful, biblical, conservative followers of God. Okay, they're the they're the evangelicals. They're the they're the the ex-evangelicals. Uh, they're the deconstructionists who are like trying to find a more faithful expression of faith in God. In many ways, they are us. They're us. So it's going to perhaps trouble us to see how Jesus goes off on the Pharisees the way that he's about to in this passage. Well, in 1977, there was a film called Jesus of Nazareth that, that came out. It was a, a TV miniseries. It, uh, it tried to bring together all four of the Gospels into one narrative. It's, it, they did a really good job, in, in my opinion, in, in lots of ways. In fact, if you were to watch it, you'd even recognize a bunch of the uh, actors and actresses. But in the film Jesus of Nazareth, here's the part. I just want to show you a short clip from this. Here's the part where they present what happens in Matthew chapter 23. Ready? Listen to this. Watch this. Bozio, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites all, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You do not go in yourselves, nor do you let others enter. Blind guides. You strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. You bow before the letter of the law and violate the heart of the law. Justice, mercy, good faith. You are like whited sepulchres, all clean and fair without, but within, full of dead men's bones and all corruption. You see these stones, do you not? I tell you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Yours is a house of desolation, the home of the lizard and the spider. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can any of you escape damnation? see me here again not until you learn to cry blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord wow you know when i watch that it makes me wonder like how how could a group like the pharisees who started off so well how could they go so bad how could they get so off course. And if that could happen to them, why couldn't it happen to us? In fact, what would Jesus say to the church in our culture, in, in our day? What would Jesus say to the, to the church? What, what woes would Jesus announce on the church today? You ever think about that? Well, this morning we're beginning a series called Woes, Seven Things the Church Must Stop Altogether, because Jesus says so.
Now why, now, why are we calling it woes? Well, if you if you read some of the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, when they saw evil and wickedness among God's people, they would confront the people responsible. They just announce like, woe to you. Like, woe to you because you don't take care of widows and immigrants, you oppress them. Or woe to you because you build a large palace with money that you've collected from wicked taxes. Or woe to you who fill up a city with violence and bloodshed. Or woe to you, evil shepherds, because you are leading my people away from me. Those are some examples of woes. And so a woe is like the most serious kind of threat or warning that we see in scripture, okay? A woe means like, watch out. God sees you and he isn't pleased. Like God is against you in this thing and it has to stop. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus has seven of those. And he announced, like he announces seven of those woes on the scribes and on the Pharisees. And so we want to learn from what Jesus is saying here. We want to see what those woes are and understand them because we don't want to be found practicing anything that Jesus uh, calls out and rebukes in the Pharisees, right? So we want to learn from those woes, but we can also flip those into positive statements about what the church in our culture must be and what the church in our culture must do. So that's what this uh, series is about. Now, I want you to, just to notice this morning, as we get this study started, just notice that Jesus begins not by going after the Pharisees, but the people. Do you see that? So I want to ask a couple of questions. First of all, what had happened to the Pharisees? Like, what went wrong? How did they get so off course? And then the second question for the morning is, why does Jesus start with the people and not the Pharisees? So let's begin with the first question. What happened to the Pharisees? What happened to them? Well, the passage actually offers some really good insights into this. So let's let's first of all notice the scribes and Pharisees have a certain authority. Okay, they've got authority and it's, and it's valid. Like in verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Like their authority is valid. Okay, in fact, in most synagogues, there's actually a stone seat. Here's a picture of one. There's this stone seat that's literally called the seat of Moses. And from that seat, the Pharisees might like listen to the problems. They might, you know, hear both sides and they might make a judgment. And they might sit in that seat and teach the Torah. They have that right, okay, because they have a legitimate authority. I think that's important. That's a good word to us because in our culture, we... I think we often think of authority as a bad thing in itself. Like we don't trust people in authority. But here, what Jesus is saying is, is that it's not the power and authority that are the problem. Jesus doesn't rebuke them because they have authority. He's, he's rebuking them. He's upset with them because of how they use that authority. And that's an important distinction. Do you see the distinction between those two things? Yeah, right? In fact, the first thing that Jesus warns the people about has nothing to do with their with the Pharisees' authority, but it has everything to do with their hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy. Listen to this in verse 3. He says, Jesus says, So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. 
Okay, the scribes and Pharisees, they're the kind of leaders who teach one thing and they do another. Like they teach people to obey God. They teach people how to worship God and how to keep God's laws. But if you were to follow them around for a day, you'd see that they don't even hold themselves to the same standard that they expect for the people that they lead. They don't follow through. They're, they're hypocrites. Okay, this is hypocrisy. So that's something, that's, that's an important thing that Jesus warns the people about. Another thing that he warns the people about is the Pharisees' uh, apathy, their apathy. Listen to this in verse 4. Jesus says that the Pharisees tie up heavy loads, cumbersome loads, and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Well, that's, that's pretty important. Like these Pharisees, what's going on is they teach scripture and they teach the law in such a way that it's true and it's accurate, but it's all rules and it's all responsibility. It's all do's and don'ts. And they, they would say, hey, I'm just a messenger. My job is to teach. It's up to you to apply this. It's not my responsibility to make this more bearable. Like these Pharisees aren't concerned with how this teaching lands on the people. They don't care about whether it's good news or not. They don't care about whether it helps or lightens people's load, right? Like they've got a congregation of people. They've got all of these listeners who need help and they need hope and they need support and they need care. And the Pharisees aren't doing anything about it. They're just teaching the law. They're just teaching the scriptures in a way that's totally disconnected, totally irrelevant to the way the people live their lives. And that's apathy, they don't care. It's apathy. Well, another thing Jesus warns the people about because of the Pharisees is their vanity. The vanity of the Pharisees. Listen to this in verse 5. Jesus says that everything that the Pharisees do is done for the people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Now, I don't expect you to know what phylacteries and uh, tassels uh, are about, but, but uh, these are these are outward signs of faithfulness. Like these are exterior symbols of a, of a real spiritual person. And Jesus is suggesting these Pharisees have all of the signs. All the signs are in place. Like they're super devoted to God, you know, and you can tell just by looking at them. Like they have these phylacteries. Here's a picture of one. And a phylactery is a, is a little box that contains Torah scrolls. And so if you were to look at a, a, at a Pharisee, he'd be like, hey, you see this, you see this box tied to my head or, or tied to my arm? That's my phylactery. Like it's super big because you know why? Because I've got so much Torah in there. Because I'm so, super devoted to God. That's just how I am. And you see those uh, long tassels on my prayer shawl? Here's a picture of them. Those tassels are so long because I like to spend a lot of time in prayer. You might say I'm something of a prayer warrior. That's just how I am. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with wearing the phylactery or wearing the prayer shawl in, in those days. And in fact, in our day, I'd say there's, I'd even say that there is nothing wrong with like objects or icons that help us to pray or guide our worship or help us to focus our thoughts on God. I don't I think there's nothing wrong with that stuff. But the Pharisees, it's all for show. It's all these all these objects, they just became signs and symbols to make people stop and notice how righteous they are. 
They're not symbols that point people to God. It's symbol, these are symbols now that point people to the Pharisees and how righteous and, and spiritual they are. Well, that's vanity. Well, the last reason Jesus is, is pretty upset about the Pharisees is because of their superiority. Okay, we've talked about their hypocrisy and their apathy and their vanity. Now we need to talk about their superiority. So in verses 6 and 7, Jesus says, They love the place of honor at banquets. They love the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace. And they love to be called rabbi by others. And this goes further than, than vanity. The, the Pharisees here, they don't just want to look more uh, righteous than, than you. They, wanna, they want it to be known that they're actually more important than you that they're more valuable, that they, they matter more than the rest of us. Like they should sit at the head of every table. They should get the front row seats in the synagogue. And, and man, do they love their titles. Like if you ran out into this person at the mall or on the street and you were like, hey, what's up, Nicodemus? How's it going? He would stop you. He'd correct you. He'd be like, excuse me. No, 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 no. We don't say, hey, what's up, Nicodemus? It's uh, what's up, rabbi, if you must know. So that's who we're talking about here, okay? They, they, the Pharisees, they need you to know that they are superior. They need you to know that they are better than you. And that's what has become of the scribes and the Pharisees at this point. It's a group who have become known not for their, not for their righteousness and their, their faithfulness to God, but in Jesus' eyes, they're now marked by hypocrisy and apathy and vanity and superiority. And that's a shame. That's a shame. And there's a warning in here for us, right? I actually came across uh, recently a, a, a group of ancient prayers that are called the Psalms of the Pharisees. And, and they're actually really great. Like, here's, a, here's a, just a, a, a short passage from one where the Pharisees would pray, Lord, thy mercy is over the works of thy hands forever. Thy goodness is over Israel with a rich gift. Thine eyes look upon them so that none of them suffers want. Thine ears listen to the hopeful prayer of the poor. Thy judgments are executed upon the whole earth in mercy. And thy love is toward the seed of Abraham, the children of Israel. Thy chastisement is upon us as upon a firstborn and only begotten son. To turn back the obedient soul from folly that's wrought in ignorance. And then this, this passage turns to prayer. And so the Pharisees' prayer here is, May God cleanse Israel against the day of mercy and blessing. May God cleanse Israel against the day of choice when he bringeth back his Messiah. Blessed shall they be that shall be in those days, in that they shall see the goodness of the Lord which he shall perform for the generation that is to come under the rod of chastening of the Lord's Messiah in the fear of his God, in the spirit of wisdom and righteousness and strength. Like the Pharisees said that. The Pharisees prayed that. Like that's a good prayer, right? That's a good God-honoring prayer. Like they look forward to Messiah. They're like, it's going to be so good to be around when Messiah comes. Blessed be the people who are around when Messiah arrives. Because we can't wait for him to arrive and to come and to restore Israel. That's how the Pharisees began. 
Well, a few generations later, when Messiah does come, the Pharisees reject him. They couldn't stand him. They're actually the, the first people in line to have Jesus put to death. And however devoted they were to Messiah at the start, uh, however devoted they were to God's law at the start, by the time of Jesus, they've become hypocrites. And they've stopped caring about God's people. They've, they're, they're obsessed with looking righteous on the outside, and they're obsessed with being treated as though they are better than anyone else. That's the Pharisees now. And yet Jesus begins this, uh, this, this speech not by yelling at the Pharisees yet, but by con- correcting the people. Now, I think we need to be interested in why. We need, to, we need to figure out why. So the second question is, why does Jesus correct the people about the Pharisees? Okay, why does Jesus correct the people about the Pharisees? So he begins in verse 8 and he says, You are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructor, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, in this this chunk where Jesus is still talking to the people, I see three things that matter a lot to him. In, in contrast to what now characterizes the Pharisees, there's a few things that matter to Jesus actually quite a bit. The first is equality. It's equality. In verses 8 to 10, it's pretty clear Jesus isn't okay when people elevate each other with these titles or these, you know, these titles of greatness like rabbi or father or instructor. Instead, he's like, you're all brothers, All of you, your brothers, you're all the same. Even the Pharisees, you already have a father. You already have a great teacher. So so we're not going to make idols out of people. We're not going to put people up on pedestals. You're all equal. You all deserve equal honor and respect. That that is the way of Jesus. Well, the second thing that matters to Jesus, it seems, is service here. Verse 11, he talks about about how the greatest among you will be your servant. Like serving really matters to Jesus. Like if you really want to know who the really important people are, it's not the person sitting in a great big chair or standing at the front of the room or wearing a big phylactery or fancy tassels on their prayer shawl. The person who really matters, the person who's really great is the one who gets down and serves and washes feet. That's the way of Jesus. And a third thing here that seems to matter to Jesus quite a bit is actually humility. Humility. This is where Jesus says uh, that his kingdom is like the reverse of how things are in the world. He says in verse 12, Those who exalt themselves like the Pharisees did will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, you see how everything is upside down in the kingdom of God? Like the more that a community exalts people, the more that it thinks that it's too important to serve, the more they seek respect and adoration from the fans, the less that that community actually reflects the way of Jesus. So yes, Jesus wants you to obey the scribes and Pharisees, obey them, but don't imitate them. 
Don't imitate them because they're all wrong. They're all about hypocrisy and apathy and vanity and superiority. But that's not what you're to be about. You're to be about equality and service and humility. In a book called, A Church Called Tav, the author Scott McKnight shared his research about some of the greatest challenges facing the church today. And I was so impressed by this book. I bought a bunch of copies and I, I believe I gave most of you one. And But one of the problems that McKnight identifies is this toxic culture uh, around celebrity pastors. And he suggests, and I, and I tend to agree, that it's actually kind of our fault. What he says is, celebrities don't form on their own. Behind every celebrity pastor is an adoring congregation that both loves and supports the celebrity atmosphere. The development of a celebrity culture doesn't happen overnight. It begins when a pastor has a driving ambition for fame, but it can't take root unless the congregation supports that ambition. As a pastor grows in visibility and prominence, the aura of celebrity transfers to the congregation who begin to think of themselves as a celebrity church, famous, better than most, if not all others, beyond the reach of criticism and exemplary followers of Jesus. And that's why, my friends, that's why I think Jesus begins by correcting the people, not the Pharisees. Their failure, the, the failure of the Pharisees, it wasn't a sudden and spectacular thing. It didn't happen uh, overnight, and it, it didn't happen in secret, actually. It happened very slowly and very publicly after a lot of small compromises. It happened when enough people decided, oh, come on, it's not that big a deal. That's just how, that's just how he is. That's just how so-and-so is. Besides, look at all the people they bring in. Like all these fans, all these people can't be wrong, can they? And here's the thing. They can. People can be wrong. They often are. That's why Jesus begins by correcting the people. And if we, as the church, with a big C, as, if, as the church, if we uh, stop caring about what Jesus cares about, or even if we as a church, as a church with a small c, if we as Benediction Church, if we stop caring about what Jesus cares about, but if we instead become known for hypocrisy and apathy and vanity and superiority, we might as well be Pharisees. Like, it's all the same. Like, we may not be famous or influential like they are, but that's just semantics. It's just semantics. Like, do you, do, you, do we hear the warning in here? The Pharisees started out so well. They were, the, they were the evangelicals of their day. They were the ex-evangelicals of their day. They were the deconstructionists of their day, trying to seek a more faithful expression, a truer, better, more helpful expression, a more balanced expression of faith in their day when they began and they went so badly off course. And for that reason, we need to hear Jesus' warning. We do. Because it's a warning for us too. Here's the warning, okay, up on the screen. Here it is. Let's never assume that the greatest problems in the church are out there somewhere. Like they have nothing to do with us. Okay, like we're immune. Let's not assume that. Instead, it turns out the opposite is true. If the Pharisees can lose their way, 
then so can we. If it can happen to them, it can happen to us. And if it does, Jesus may just end up having a woe or two for us as well. Man, I I hope we're listening to this. I, I think we need to think about this seriously. I think we need to talk about this. I think we need to have a conversation uh, about this. Like, what if we're the Pharisees? If we were, would we even know it? Could, Could it be possible that we're actually more like them in some ways than we realize? Could that be? If if we were like the Pharisees, wouldn't we want to know that? Well, that's what these next weeks are about, okay? I don't think this is going to be all heavy and like judgmenty. The last thing we want to do is condemn the church. There's certainly a lot of that going on in the culture. There's enough criticism. There's enough attacks. There's enough shots being taken at the church from the culture, right? I mean, the, the church is just such an easy target. That's not what this is, all right? We believe, we still believe in the church. The church is Christ's body. Scripture describes the church as Jesus' bride someday. That means that for now, she's his fiance. So the last thing we want to be doing is, is taking shots at Jesus' fiance. okay? I actually think instead, this is going to be super encouraging, super helpful for us. And, 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 and so let's remember, Jesus loves the church, and so should we. And I just hope we will remember this as we go along. It was Jesus who said, and he promised, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's what Jesus said. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And, you know, I would certainly not want to minimize the the problem of the Pharisees. I don't want to make light of anything that the Pharisees did. But I will say this. I think this is good, helpful perspective. You know, if the power of hell, if the power of death If the power of the grave can't stop what Jesus intends to do in the church, then the Pharisees won't either. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.